0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points and spectacular takeoffs.
1: Botox Cosmetic, auto botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.
0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair and vitality, muscle strength, and An epic journey of driving an ambulance from the United Kingdom to Mongolia became a turning point in Chris Plough's life. When he returned to the United States, he realized that he could not return to the life he was living before. Chris, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks, Rini. I appreciate it. Yeah. uh, So, you know, I I came across you by way of our uh, mutual friend, Jason Gaynard. And, uh, you know, I overheard you telling your story when we were sitting at, uh, you know, a bar at World Domination Summit. And as I was overhearing you tell the story, I was like, okay, that's a story we have to tell on the podcast. So, (laughs) on that note, uh, can you tell us a a bit about yourself, uh, you know, your story, your journey, and sort of the journey before the journey that's led you to where you're at today?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will. And I guess, um, to preface this, uh, this year for me has been a year of incredible highs and incredible lows. Um, the, the trip through Siberia was an incredible high. Um, but I've also lost, um, the, the, the three people, the three men in my life who I looked most up to Mm -hmm. in the past, uh, I guess it's been the past five months or so. So it's, it's been a year of a lot of reflection also. And so, you know, many of the, the things that I see that I've, I've, you know, done since like the trip to Siberia. I've been just tunneling down the roots of kind of where did that impetus begin? Where did that, um, where did that drive begin? Why did I want to do those things? Um, so it's, 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 it's been that year of self-reflection. Um, I, I think that what many people um, get interested in is, is the, the trek to Siberia, but where it began for me was uh, going back to about 2007 or so. I was, uh, had left a company and had, had started one of my own, and um, the company was, was doing really well. So it was the first full successful entrepreneurial di- endeavor that I did that, that had traction and success. Um, but it was all-consuming, and I, I found that I was just heads down in it, and, and I neglected a lot of relationships in my life. And um, I guess just, just to put it bluntly, um, I had my, my world uh, shaken up. So in the uh, in December of 2007, I got a call from my grandmother, and um, and it, just from the tone of her voice when she first uh, picked up the phone, uh, I knew something was wrong. and And then she told me that that I had had lost both of my parents. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's something I've 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 come to grips with since, and and the adventures have helped. But at that moment, I, I truly. I hadn't had anybody in my life who had passed prior to then, and and I didn't know how to deal with it. So, you know, I, I jumped on a plane immediately. I went to Montana because I was living separate from, uh, pretty far away from where my parents. Where I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and uh, I got out there and and did everything that you do, and and I was supported by family. But after a couple of weeks, I I went back to to Philadelphia and back to the business. And, I mean, truth be told, I I, I just I put my head down. I worked as hard as I could. And, and I tried to do my best to push it down and forget it. Um, which is, sounds like a horrible thing. Uh, and, and, well, in truth, it was a horrible thing, but I just worked harder and harder. Um, that continued on for another, uh, nine months or so, something along those lines. And then the, the, of course the economy tanked and, so here it was with this, you know, this company that for me was my identity at the time. It's, it's, you know, this was the reason that people paid attention to me. This is the reason I was good. This is the reason I was valuable. And, um, and now it's going down too. And, and it's, it's all I have because it's all where I'm putting all my energy and, and focus into. Um, uh, so you know, I just delved in deeper. I just pushed harder. I just, you know, worked more and, and putting in. I don't know. I was, I was sleeping two or three hours a night, and everything else was really the business. And I, I was fortunate that, you know, this isn't just me. I have a wonderful business partner who, who sunk, you know, uh, deep into it, um, and, and a wonderful team who, you know, who pushed hard to, to get through it. Um, but at the time, it did feel very much like a solo endeavor just because I was so self focused at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's going on. And, um, i just didn 't know how to stop it, so it was this kind of self evolving you know, circle of, of getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the business. Um, my parents didn't have much, but uh, we were able to sell their house and uh, um, with you know what I got from my parents i I, I sunk it all into the business, and at the time, that gave me a lot of a lot of grief. You know, I, I felt like the only reason that, that I was able to keep this company afloat was because my parents had died. I had linked the, the, uh, um, you know, a cause and effect, which was really wasn't there,
0: mm.
2: um, and just made me incredibly guilty. But I, I kept doing that. And then I, I got to a, a, just a point of complete burnout. I, I didn't like my life. I, I didn't enjoy what I was doing. Um, I had, I, I hated myself in, in many ways. Um, and I, w- I was looking for a way to escape, like, like truly just run away. And and for me, you know, that runaway came in, in the form of a, of a suggestion from a friend of mine, um, Bob. We were at, at a Halloween party I was, I was throwing, and uh, he's like, hey, I, I heard about this adventure. Man, it's right down your alley. You would like it. And, and just because I had a reputation for kind of being adventurous and, and foolhardy, I guess, um, well, not to mention at the time I, I was doing some, some fairly silly things and not putting a lot of regard in my life. But he said, hey, there's these guys who, who you know, pick up vehicles, used vehicles, and you, you drive them from the UK to Mongolia, and it's an epic adventure. You'll love it. And it, you know, I was like, oh, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah, someday, someday when I have the money and everything's settled and you know, I don't have anything to worry about, I'm going to do that. But uh, it was a, a seed it was a seed and it just, you know, was, was there and it it kept growing. And over the next few months, it it kept popping into my mind of, I could, could I do this? You know, could I, could, could I, could this be me? Could this, you know, could this be an alternate version of my life? Um, You know, and I think it was really no more than running away. I wanted to get away from all of the pain I was feeling and just, you know, excuse me, escape into, to another world. So I, I presented it to my business partner, and I told him, "Hey, I, I really want to do this." And I was so fortunate that he was he was supportive. He's like, "Look, we'll we'll find a way. We'll find a way to make this happen. You just, um, you know, focus on what you need to do, and we'll spend the next nine months preparing the team for you to be gone for you know two or three months." Um, and and we did. And I remember. Stepping off the plane when I flew to the U.K. to, to pick up an ambulance. And, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I guess a, a rabbit hole from there real quick is uh, uh, two ambulances. Um, I bought an ambulance in the U.S. Uh, out in Minnesota. It used retired ambulance built, built off of a uh, Ford E350 and uh, got, it back to, uh, got it back to Pennsylvania fixed it up with a friend of mine, um, made a lot of videos around it, had a good time, prepared it so that it was a a little more um, robust to make it through the trip, um, and then ran into two problems. Uh, We we couldn't get it shipped in time to the UK, and the second was we found out it had been used as a vehicle at one point in its life, and so they wouldn't let us export it out of the United States. Um, so last minute, uh, I jumped on eBay to find another ambulance and, uh, and luckily found a retired one out of Scotland that some unknown guy had, <laughs> uh, had set up, uh, and, and he was just selling them off. And so sight unseen, you know, after a, a 15 minute phone call with a guy that I, I put a lot of trust in, um, you know, that was the ambulance we went to go, to go pick up. Um, but you know, where I started was, you know, as I got off the ambulance in or out of, off the airplane in the UK, um, it just felt like. Everything else disappeared for a little bit and and all that was ahead of us and there were three of us all that was ahead of us was this epic journey of the unknown of you know jumping to this ambulance and driving and and seeing where we could go and and that journey for me it it was a turning point in my life it was it ended up um, taking one friendship. So the three of us, one friendship and, and, um, kind of breaking it apart. You know, some of the trust that had been there broke apart, but the other friend I was with, it made us closer than, than we had ever been. And in that cycle, um, so, you know, when you're an ambulance, you're driving across all of Europe and and Russia and, and, you know, over into Mongolia through the desert, there's this cycle that happens and it's, you know you get up in the morning, you fix everything that's broken in the ambulance everything that's that's gone wrong um, you you know find some way to to get food and eat uh, you drive for a while, hope you can find gas along the way um, and then you fix some more things to break on the ambulance, then you try to find a safe place to to sleep for the night some place to save to park the ambulance because we were sleeping in it most nights um, and it's it's a cycle that that just kind of goes over and over and over again. It becomes repetitive. And we did this for, you know, uh, 40 or 50 days. And in that cycle, there's a lot of time for reflection. There's a lot of, uh, I guess, time to, to to look back on life as well because you're, you're driving. There's a lot of ass and seat time. And for me, that was where I started to realize that I couldn't go back to the, the life I had before and, and where I started to finally realize and and grieve for my parents and and come to terms with a lot of that um and and so that's where my i guess the adventure um the the adventures that i take in my life began was was on that journey and you know i'm I'm shortchanging that journey There's there's a ton that happened on it but but really for me it was that pivot point of life could be more than than just um email and uh, and meetings and and financial issues you know that that life could be could be visceral life could be enjoyable again and and that was just a major pivot point in my life so coming back from there setting uh setting foot in the united states again um i couldn't go back to to my previous life i just couldn't and i've been fortunate that uh, my my business partner has been very accommodating and is has taken over some roles in the business to to allow me to do that, and that my family's been supportive in you know um, being there and and supporting me in in a bit of a different lifestyle, in one of of travel and adventure and following more passions instead of just business. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, having heard some of my interviews, you know, that I want to go back to the very beginning of this, Yeah, uh, you know, you I mean losing two parents at the same time, uh, that I, I can't even fathom something that that's, that's, you know, that painful, and, you know, on the flip side of that, I think about sort of uh, what Viktor Frankl once wrote, wrote about suffering and how it's like a you know gas chamber, regardless of whatever it is that's causing you to suffer, it fills the entire gas chamber. So it's mm-hmm. relative to whatever we're experiencing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I guess, you know, for me, the the question that comes up is, is sort of navigating the grief of that kind of a loss so that you come out of the other side of it better uh, as opposed to letting it just demolish you. Uh, which, you know, I've seen happen. I've had happen in certain instances. So I'm really curious, uh, you know, what your thoughts are about that. I
2: think the, maybe the, the best way I can express it is the loss of my parents. And you're right. It was, it was earth-shattering, I mean, to, to the core, um, because these have been two people who had supported me and been, um, been there for me my whole life. Um, but the loss of my parents and, and how that felt and how I pushed it down and ignored it and did everything I could to avoid dealing with the grief. And that process is night and day opposite um, from how this year has been for me. Mm-hmm. So this year, as I've come back from Siberia, um, unexpectedly, um, the, one of the biggest mentors in my life, a guy who, who became uh, a father to me, um, passed uh, from from cancer and other issues um, and it, it progressed quickly it, it went from fifteen days to being noticed to to him passing and that happened as I was uh, flying back from from russia so that happened a month ago my um, one of my grandfathers passed and he at many points of my life also was was a father figure he stepped in um, when uh, my biological father left and my and before my stepfather was in my life and he's you know uh, the reason i i uphold many ideals in my life like integrity and then last week my other grandfather passed so those three things happened this year but my my way of dealing with it my perspective has been very different and i attribute it to learning how to deal and grieve but also just gaining a little bit more life experience than some of the adventures i 've been on so so the difference for me has been when my parents passed, it was unfathomable and it was all consuming, like you said it was that gas that fills the gas chamber and just sinks you down to to a depth you can 't you never knew you could hit um, and and makes your life feel worthless um, but this year, um, with the passing of, of these these three incredible men, um, my view has been. Of gratitude that they were in my life, that they helped shape me and and make me into the person that I've I've become, and also in having perspective that in this year I've hit some of the greatest highs of my life as well as some of the greatest lows, and by looking at that and not focusing simply on one, not on on the lows of, of losing them, that that perspective has helped me understand that while you know, I, I've I've grieved for them and I've given them their, um, you know, everything I can do to, to process their their passing. Um, that there's more in my life than that. That I'm buoyed up by all of these other great and amazing things and amazing people in my life, um, rather than being pulled down and sunk to those depths. So I think that it's about dealing with those emotions first and right. Mm. Uh, forefront and and also just maintaining the perspective of everything in your life rather than focusing on one single event.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's actually a really profound way of looking at it, and it's so true. When we experience highs and lows, we we tend to get you know all consumed by the lows. You know, I really appreciate you you know, bringing up the idea of of you know letting yourself process those feelings as opposed to pushing them down because I think that that's really you know one of our first sort of instincts with uh, emotional pain is to just try to push it down as much as possible Mm -hmm. and what i have found is that when you do that uh, and the next experience comes up you basically have all this stuff that just isn't healed and wounds that come Mm -hmm. to the surface and it makes it 80 times worse
2: no that's it's a, a very good point it's almost like if there were um, a drain or a hole for processing these emotions like if you stuff stuff down it's like you block that up and then everything else kind of gets stuck behind that and it just becomes this um, it's this cesspool that kind of fills up rather than being a healthy flow um, that you process mm-hmm.
0: yeah let me ask you this. I want to ask you one other thing about the company that you mentioned. Mm. Uh, you know, you mentioned that at a certain point what happened is that your company and your identity became the same, which is funny since you and I were kind of talking about this <laughs> before we hit record here. Yeah. And, you know, on some level, uh, that is a struggle that I think I'm going through personally right now. And, you know, sort of saying, like, I, I associate a- a- everything that happens to the company I see as a reflection on who I am as a person. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I don't know that that's entirely healthy. Uh, because I think it makes it very difficult to navigate the challenges. And I am really curious how you actually separate yourself, uh, from those two things, especially when it's something that you've built with your own two hands. I mean, imagine, you know, me being the host of this show, Mm -hmm. it seems almost, how is that, you know, that seems impossible to separate myself, uh, and separate my identity from what we've built. And I'm really curious how you do it in a way that's actually useful, um, but still allows you to show up, you know, fully authentically and transparently, Mhm. I
2: don't know that I have a full answer but I'll guide you through the process, right? So sure. I'm no I don't claim to be a guru. Um I I think I'm struggling through this life like everyone else is, but there are, there are a few things that I I think may have helped with it. Um when I started Maven Wire, um I started it on my own but very quickly brought on a partner and I believed in him and I just gave him 50% of the company and then from then on we were we were in it together there was you know an inherent trust and and we dealt with it and so at that point you know it, in my mind in many ways it was still me and mine um but slowly as he's taken over more responsibilities and and especially now it's become more of ours and and that's helped a lot and then with the company as as i Used it as a learning platform, you know, to to learn how how to be an entrepreneur, how to to do all these things. Um, each time I got good at something, I would pass that off onto somebody who had more passion in that area and and could do it better than I could, and then it became theirs. So I started to see the company slowly and surely as this set of this amazing team, and and the company was. Um, the product of everyone rather than just of me, so it became this slowly slow part of of supplanting myself out of it uh, and the trip to Mongolia was key to that because I had to if i 'm going to step away for two or three months, I had to finally relinquish control off over all these things that I was the bottleneck on that I still jumped in and fixed that I still maintained complete oversight on, and instead pass them off onto the people in the team who were. More capable than I was, and even if, if they didn 't always believe that, I knew that they could and allow them to step up and rise to the occasion and, and take it onto their own, so that kind of facilitated this it 's now ours instead of mine mm-hmm. and and that 's just continued over time so and it 's it's, it's, it's gone further and further so um, early this year, I stepped back from being um, you know a full um, manager runner parts of the organization into being chairman and allowing my partner to step forward as CEO and run the day-to-day operations. And and that, again, became this further separation. Hmm. Um, so so it, it was a process that t- took many years. And I can't say there's one single thing that led to it. But I do know, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting up a new project now. And I do know that in going into that, I'm intentionally setting up this project as a as a community, as a, a a people thing, rather than as a Chris Plow thing. I don't want it to be the Chris Plow show, and I don't want um, uh, me to be the sole reason that it exists. I want to bring in other stories and influences into it. Uh, so, I don't know if I can achieve this. To be a hundred percent honest, I don't know if I can build that and still keep my my identity somewhat separate from it so that I'm not completely entangled into it, but I'm, I'm attempting to. Mm.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting as, as we're, we're sort of building our team and going through this transition, I can understand how that, that, how that would lead to that. Uh, Mm. You know, you brought up something else, uh, you know, where you said that somehow in your head, you know, because of the the money that you got from, you know, selling your parents' house, you had sort of linked cause and effect, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know it obviously led to a lot of sort of self-loathing and all those things and you know I think that when events in our lives you know especially the lows happen we have a tendency to link cause and effect and I'm really curious how you unlink them
2: for me it was simply addressing it and it's it was a latent cause and effect that I had linked and it's the first time that I expressed it was actually last November so so Jason who we were talking about earlier he he um he uh, pulled together a, a group of people into a mastermind, and uh, I'd never done one before. And it started with us getting together room in, and in, in telling our our hero's journey. And fortunate, one of the first people to go up was just incredibly vulnerable with their life and and what they'd been through uh, to a level that I I didn't expect. And so it, it set the tone for everyone. And when I went up, I started talking about you know this is what I went through, and and this was losing my parents and and. I didn't fully realize it, but by being in the flow and going with the conversation, it came up and I said, look, I feel intense guilt over the fact that the only reason I am where I am today is because my parents died, that that they were the, um, that that money and, and them passing was was this, the sole factor for, you know, hitting this point of success, at least, you know, from the outside view to success. Um, and it was the support of people in that group who, who called me to terms on it? Said, "Look, you're you're looking at this wrong. That um, you would have found a way if that money didn't come through. And and second, you know, if there was a way to use that money, your parents probably would have been very proud to use it in this particular way to save people's jobs and create something um, that has meaning. So I honestly owe it to them to to call me out on it. Um, and and from there, I've been able to process it through." And, and think through it many times and finally come to terms with the fact that it was just a complete false connection that I was just taking one powerful moment of my life and, you know, another powerful and linking them together in a cause and effect that was, was wrong. And it's taken me a few months, but I'm, I don't feel any guilt over it now. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm proud that that's the way that I, I could have, you know, used what little they, they provided me.
0: Hmm. I love that.
2: Yeah. And I, th- I think that one thing that's helpful to all of this, if I can, you know, kind of break on for a second, is, is time for reflection. You know, that was was key to me in, in the trip through Mongolia. But, you know, this year uh, I began a motorcycle trip in May that was supposed to last for a few weeks. I was going down to Austin. Um, I was going to see some friends in, in El Paso. Well, I was going to, to um, uh, go to the memorial for Al. Uh, my mentor who passed in, in El Paso and then head home. And uh, due to, I'm, I'm fortunate to have freedom in my life, but um, since I can work from pretty much anywhere, that, that motorcycle ride has has continued since I I will finally make it home for the first time in about a week. But when you're in doing that and deciding to take this motorcycle ride, you know, I'm I'm on the road most days for between five to, to nine hours, and I don't listen to uh, headphones or audiobooks or or podcasts while I'm doing so, which which I usually love to do. It's part of how I I drive in a car. Um, instead, I I chose not to, just because I find that as I get into uh, at least an hour, maybe two hours in, um, I, I hit a zone where my mind just starts bringing these things up, and whether it's uh, issues that I need to deal with that I, I finally confront and, and think my way through, just brute forcing my way through um, dealing with with the the losses you know this year that, that we talked about, gaining the perspective or um, creative ideas for for projects that I want to start. I find that they really start to flow so for me it 's about having that space that you create for yourself that allows enough time for your subconscious or you know, however you want to express it, but it allows time for for those ideas to percolate up, and for you to process them and come to terms with them. And I think that's as is important as much emotionally as it is intellectually.
0: Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. I, I want to get into this idea of creating space for reflection, but hmm. um, before we do that, you know, you said that uh, the trip from UK to Mongolia was sort of a turning point, and. You know, I feel like every time I have a story on the show, it really is sort of a hero's journey where, you know, it's rock bottom Mm. (laughs) uh, or your version of rock bottom that becomes the catalyst for, you know, real growth and real change. Uh, Now, the question to me is, is, you know, if we want to bring about a turning point in our lives, Mm -hmm. is rock bottom necessary or can we bring the turning point about without rock bottom? And if so, how?
2: I love the question, and it's one that I've been pondering quite a bit because I'd like to find a way to, um, to affect change in, in people's lives. Uh, I think that there has to be a catalyzing moment, but I truly hope it doesn't always have to be rock bottom. Um, to, I'll be honest, in, in my life, many times it's the pain of depression, um, that is the catalyst to push me to to change certain things in my life. But I wonder if if maybe just being exposed to the right people um, or the right ideas uh, can, can have the same effect. Maybe it's not as dramatic a turnaround, but maybe it's still that inflection point that leads you in a different direction. Um, so one thing I've been thinking about was a lot of the, the network and, and the people that, that I have now who I, I spend a lot of time with and whose ideas influence me, it all started um, back in, this must have been 2011. Uh, Tim Ferriss put on an event called the Open the Komono event. Um, and it was for, uh, it was for authors to learn how to market books and it, it had a, you know, a, a significant price point for entry, all these things. Um, I I don't know exactly why I decided to go because I, I, at the time, had no intention of ever writing a book. Um, But I went, and what I found there was there's this group of of people. There was 120 people there. And I don't know that I was yet ready to be part of that group. I was close, but I, I opened myself up to just the experience. And I found so many genuine people there who had gone through these various paths in life and paths that were unexpected and, and people who defined success in different ways. There were people who made hundreds of millions of dollars and there were people who, who just got by and used travel hacking in order to, to see the world. And there were artists and authors. Um, but But everybody had defined their own version of success and they had gone after it and they had gone after it often in paths that were unexpected. And that's led me from that point on to continue trying to, to find these, these interesting people and sit down and have conversations with them. And, and I find that I'm greatly influenced by many of the ideas they present that resonate with me. And, and often you know, I, I try to share my own ideas in, in, in hopes of, of helping them. But, but that changed my view of what networking was, of what the people around you can, can influence, of how genuine people can be in trying to help out. So it was a smaller inflection point, but it's definitely one of the ones I can see in my life where, you know, um, you know maybe I didn't take a 100 180-degree degree change, but maybe it was, you know, a 30 or 60-degree, you know, just inflection that has led me to a different point. So I guess maybe a more concise answer is I think there are positive events that can happen to influence it, but maybe they're not as dramatic.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.
0: We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, I love that. And of course, you know, having recently sat down with you and and Jason and had dinner with Jason and having interviewed Jason, I can see, you know, how the kinds of people they are around can have such a dramatic effect. Uh, You know, I I want to ask you something you said. uh, Ask a question about something you said about this idea of defining your own version of success. You know, I think that... (laughs) As much as I hate to say this, I think to some degree we pay lip service to that. Mm-hmm. And when you do define your own version of success, inevitably you're going to run into resistance mm-hmm. uh, from people in your lives. And sometimes, you know, the willingness to live by your own defini- definition of success is going to come at the cost of some things that really hurt. Oh, yeah. Um, and I really want to hear. Uh, how you how you handle that, and and how you deal with that, uh, and how you how you just navigate it without letting it tear you apart inside.
2: Hmm. I <laughs> no. So so it, it as is actually something um, that I've consciously done over the past few years. So let let me see if I can articulate, and then if anything's not clear, just help me. So I remember you know growing up, and I had I had parents who said, "Look, you can." You know, anything you want to do, as long as you're not hurting anybody, we will support you. You know, if you want to be an artist, you want to be all these things. You know, we'll we'll support you. But at the same time, there was still this this kind of nudge from from my parents and support group and and others around me to say, look, the path was excel in school, go to college, excel in college, get out of college, get into a good job, work your way up that job to you know uh, a point of management, and then um, you know. Uh, retire and be happy with your life that that was a, a, a clear path and in many ways you know one that i, I bought into so when i um graduated high school i i ended up moving out east and uh i had to drop out of college because I, I ran out of money but everything i did from that point of the jobs i worked at um w- was this stepping up process of of making more money having more things you know, making my life more complete on, on with all of these these trappings. And I always thought that if I reached a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, I would be happy, and I equated that dollar value to happiness. Um, you know to the point where I would joke with my grandmother and I would say, "Look, I tell you what, the first million dollars I make is yours, um, but you have to let me keep it long enough to make the second million. you know and, and it was our joke, and it was, it, but it was my goal. that was my life goal that I had to to attain um, I remember becoming very disillusioned with that, um, in kind of the pits of my depression before Mongolia. And then once I returned from Mongolia, um, I just, it didn't resonate with me at all anymore. I, it didn't drive me. I had, you know, to, to get up in the morning and to try to work, to, to earn this dollar value, it meant nothing. and, and to go from being somebody who was very ambitious and driven, and you know could work all nighters and just push myself to do anything, to hitting a point where I felt none of that drive and felt just lazy and and unmotivated, um, that became very painful to me, for me to the point where then I started to look for other things that that I could focus on, um, and that then led me to. Finding value instead in money into connecting with people that in connecting people is where you find value um, and and that was great for a while, but then that started to feel slightly um, un- totally unfulfilling and then it became okay, so connecting with people is great, but if you connect with people and you don 't have an impact if you 're not helping people in some way then then you know you don 't have a full motivation and so it 's just kind of shifted over time, but what I have given myself. Is the freedom to follow those motivations and go through, and many people in my life have been very supportive of this you know i 'll be honest with you there's, there's people in my family who don 't get it they just don 't understand, but they 're still willing to be supportive. I can I, I know because I can look them in the eyes when I tell them that the plans I have things I want to do, and I can tell in their eyes it doesn 't resonate, but they still support me. My business partner, for example, you know supports me in these endeavors that I want to do, and he 's a, a phenomenal man but there have been other people in my life who who didn't at all, um, or sometimes the environment wasn't conducive to it. You know, I felt like when I was in Philadelphia, it was a great place and I had great friends, but it, it was very much about the the rat race, about having and being, and 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 if you didn't have these certain things, you didn't you know match the the mold. Um, so I cut the people out of my life very specifically who who weren't supportive of what I wanted to do, and I. I moved from Philadelphia and, uh, I, I, I bought a small property in in South Dakota, um, without knowing anybody there and literally just dropped my stuff off and started traveling. And, um, because that was what I wanted. That was part of my goal was to, to travel and and part of how I define success. And, and I just didn't let anything hold me back. Um, now, that, that sounds kind of rosy, but there were points in that time of self-doubt and, and depression. Um, but I look at those times differently now. I look at, at those, those times as the pain that prods you forward, the pain that tells you something's not right and you need to, to find something new instead of the, the swallowing depths. Um, and as long as I have that as my guiding compass, I think it can work. So for, for other people, it's the same. If, if, if an environment or a person's not conducive, to what, how you've defined success, you have to, um, at least minimize their impact on your life. Um, at the most, just straight cut them out. And I I think that it is your duty to do that in order to create the life that that you want, because you're ultimately, you're responsible for your own happiness. Um, wow. Um,
0: really just that's mind blowing.
2: So hopefully articulated well, like I've never really, some of these thoughts, I've never really sat down and, and really thought all the way through other than on my bike rides.
0: Well, I've been known to have that effect on people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, the the other thing I will say about this whole idea of defining your version of success, you know, I, I had a a chance to sit down and interview Glenn Beck, which, you know, probably won't have aired by the time you guys are listening to this, but, uh, you know, I, I talked to him about it. You know, at that level, you're kind of like, okay, well, I mean, where else do you go from here? And he said, you know, Shreya, I have a friend who's a billionaire. And, you know, he said, okay, Glenn, what does success look like for you? And he said, you know, okay, is it this much money, this much money? He said, here's the problem. He said, if you don't sit down and define what it looks like for you, you won't recognize it when you get there.
2: Mm.
0: And then it just becomes this bottomless pit.
2: Yeah, uh, it it does. So um I, I hope this comes across right, but you know, I had that goal of of I wanted to be worth a, a million dollars. Um and on my my 33rd birthday, I sat down and I started working out numbers and I I realized that I had passed that now paper money it's 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 company worth and everything else. So it's, it's you know not not real per se. You know, it can always disappear. But I had passed that when I was 30. Um that you know because i i hadn't tracked that goal, and that was my driving goal, and I, I'd never really looked at at it um that I had passed it without ever realizing it, and my life was no better hmm. so I would say that the thing I would add to that is not just realizing what success is to you and 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 watching it, but making sure that that if you hit the point or you get close to what you think success is, is your life better for it, or is it a false success is it is it leading you you know, further astray because it's a goal that just is, just is bullshit. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Let's, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and let's, let's start talking about this idea of creating a space for reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually you one how you do that. I mean, obviously you've done it through, uh, you know, your motorcycle journeys and I, you know, I want to hear you talk about them, uh, in a bit more depth and, and kind of, uh, one sort of what kinds of reflections you've got out of it. And, you know, how do we, you know, when we create our spaces for reflection, how do you get something useful out of that, um, that you actually can bring forward into your life, uh, as opposed to seeming like you're, you know, doing something with no purpose.
2: Let me tackle that, that tactical portion first. I think that may be the, the easier portion. And then we can get into, you know, ways that I've achieved space and, and maybe you have some ideas and we can talk back and forth. Um, but I think that the, the tactical is actually easier. The tactical is, you know, if you create space and you have ideas or you recognize untruths in your life or things that you want to change, at the moment they're realized because thoughts are fleeting. Write them down, and then um, at the at the end of the week, at the end of whatever time you have, sit down and review those and and read through okay these are are the the things I've noticed these are the things that that bubbled up into my mind that I need to address or or these are things I need to think you know further on um, and then prioritize doing so and looking at them. Um, I also find as I come to these like little mini revelations that I'll talk them through with people I trust you know people who um, I know you know will give me the space of of not being non non-jud- nonjudgmental but also will hold me to task if, um, you know, if, if, if an idea is true or not. They'll, they'll, they'll hold me to task on it. And bounce that off of them and get the reflection off of them to see how that feels. Does it still feel the same? And, and then if it does, then you need to implement it into some type of daily practice where you then can, can uh, utilize that change. So you know, when I realized that I needed to move out of Philadelphia, that I needed to get further back west where I felt more at home, um, I, uh, after talking this this over, I started then with okay. My my first daily steps were to write down the things I needed to do in order to accomplish, and just make little you know small steps. And at first, that was all I did each day. I sat down and I said, okay, well I need to do this, I need to do this, and I would just write a list. And then the daily process became, okay, which of these small things can I take and knock off today in order to, to make progress towards that eventual goal? Um, and, and 100% honest, I, I didn't always tackle a task every day um, that, that took me closer to that. I got wrapped up in, in issues and um, you know uh, urgent uh, but non-priority issues that, that kind of consumed me, but I always got back to it. And that's how I made my eventual progress to it. Which then led towards the change. Um, if a change is smaller, you might be able to implement it immediately, and then just have a reminder practice each day that keeps you on track with it. If it's larger, you might have to step your way up to it. But I do believe it's that daily practice that is habit forming and helps you get there.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think a, a daily practice of of any sort is absolutely essential. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I just whatever it is, whether it's writing, you know, whatever that might be. Uh, I think it's, it's really just one of those things that I found that, you know, I, I think it's that whole quote, right? We underestimate what we, we, we overestimate what we can do in a day, but we underestimate what we could do in a year.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Well, let's talk specifically about the, sort of the stories of, of these motorcycle rides. I mean, we've really kind of given people a way for creating space. And, and that's, you know, uh, the reality is, I mean, for me, I get it through surfing. It sounds like you get it through these motorcycle rides. So talk to me about, um, you know, the the motorcycle rides, especially the one, the most recent one, which is the one that really got my attention. Uh, you, talk to me about the story and the journey of that.
2: Yeah. So so these rides for me have become um, a yearly practice, I guess. I. I rode a rickshaw three thousand miles uh, across India and uh, and you know, kind of from the the furthest southeastern tip to as far as I, southwestern tip to as far as I can get in the northeast. Um, I just this year um, rode a motorcycle across Siberia um, in winter uh, from Irbit, where they, they make the Ural motorcycle, to Salakhard, which is the only town in the world that's in the, the Arctic Circle. Um, and, and then later, actually in October, I'm, I'm you know, riding a moto taxi, so kind of a, a motorcycle contraption across the Andes in Peru. And I find that that by having these adventures that um, they're a reflection not only to give you time, like you were talking about, the time and space to, to think, but they also reconnect you, I think, with a more, the more visceral stresses in life of safety and food and enjoying the company of others um rather than uh the less visceral pains that we all feel around email and and deadlines, etc. And I think that, that that reset and that walkway is important. And and the one to Siberia is hands down, without a doubt, my absolute favorite one I've I've done to date. And and because it was so difficult, I think um I'll it'll it'll remain that way. Um, so where a lot of these have come from is I, I utilize a group called the Adventurists, and they put together these, these absolute crazy uh, adventures. But what they do is they provide a framework that you can jump into without support. Uh, what I mean by that is um, they arranged to make sure that we had a vehicle in, uh, in Irvit when we arrived that we would have a, uh, a motorcycle and, and sidecar to be able to drive with. Um, and you know they, they put on a party if you make it to the end. But everything in the middle, the path you take, supporting yourself, taking care of each other, um, you know, if, if you survive or die, you know, really that's on you. That is your responsibility as I think any, any good adventure should. You know, it should stress you and it should um, put you in a place where you are ultimately responsible for yourself. And I, you know, I've dealt with cold a lot in my life. I was born in Montana. I've spent a good bit of time up north. Um, and, uh, you know, I've dealt with temperatures down to maybe minus 10, minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, but I, I was blown away by how different temperatures get when you hit, um, minus 30 and below and, and starting into the minus forties. And I think that that was the first thing that was just a complete eye opener when we got there so i didn't know anybody who was doing this um, you know in in total there were I think seventeen people who decided to to go on on this crazy adventure and uh, some people knew each other some people didn't. I just knew that if I showed up in a place like this for an adventure like this, I would meet interesting people and we would very likely get along um, so you know I show up and fast friends you know we, we start getting along um and doing well and and a few of us decide we'd, we'd like to, to travel together in total there were, were five of us including myself and um i remember on our first day of, of going out for like a test drive just just to learn how to drive a motorcycle and sidecar because it's completely different and and doing so on ice roads when you have zero traction brakes are 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 mostly worthless on on the roads um we, I, in, in traveling less than a mile, because uh, I hadn't geared up fully, I figured it was just a test drive. Traveling less than a mile, I lost total feeling in my right hand and, and couldn't move my fingers and couldn't move my thumb. Um, and it just made me aware at that moment of just how dangerous um, a trek like this was going to be, where we're going to do 1,800 miles across you know Siberia in winter, um, and and it really set the tone. And I'll, I'll be honest, as we, we set off, you know, many of these adventures I, I kind of do very lightheartedly. I don't do a lot of prep. I don't do a lot of, of research. I just know that I'm flexible and can make my way through. Um, I was I was anxious. I was um, I didn't know exactly how this was going to turn out. Um, but I, I I did my best to trust in myself and and um, and the friends around me. And uh, and we set off. And the first when you, when you leave Irbit... Um, and you go into South Card, you kind of have a Western route and you have an Eastern route. The Western route is mostly on highways and is, um, difficult, but, but in comparison to the East route is, is fairly easy. Um, we, we chose to go the Eastern route because we wanted, uh, some, some, I guess, more adventure, um, being a bit foolhardy, all of those things. Uh, and the first couple of days, uh, first day and a half on that that eastern route is also quite easy. You're on main roads, and you're, but it, it's difficult. You're getting used to to driving these these uh, motorcycles and in sliding kind of on the road and not being able to track in a straight line. Um, you start feeling all the little places in your um, your outer layers that are letting air through, and it's stinging your skin. And uh, you start learning how to wrap yourself up better. So it's a great learning experience. Um. That goes on for a bit, and then on at the end of day two, uh, we decide that we're going to camp outside um, because you can't always find a, a place to uh, to um, to hole up or get someplace warm there. And uh, so we decide to camp outside. We're in high spirits. We clear our camp, get everything set down. Realized we're we're not able to start a fire. We're having a lot of trouble with that. And but it's okay. We've got a little camp stove. We cook up some more meal. You know, eat, go to bed. By 9 o'clock, everything's happy-go-lucky.
0: Um,
2: I remember I woke up that, that night at, at about midnight, um, somewhere thereabouts, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel my, my feet. Um, and I, I started panicking a little bit, and I, I couldn't move my feet either. Um, so I had to figure out what to do and um, I tried moving around to get blood circulation going there in the sleeping bag because I really didn't want to get out because at least the sleeping bag and tent had warmed up a good bit more from the outside. Uh, outside, it was about minus 33, minus 34 degrees, something along those lines. Um, and it, it just wasn't working. So I ended up taking uh, my foot, and I, I could, in my mummy sleeping bag, pull up one foot at a time into my hand, and I could use my hands to flex my foot back and forth until my hand warmed it up And then uh, I got enough blood flow going to, to feel my toes and move my toes again. Um, and, but I can only do one foot at a time. So I had to like move one foot up, do that, put it down, move the other foot up, do that, put it down. I remember doing that for a little while. And then I looked at my my, my clock and it was like, I don't know, um, 1207 or something along those lines. And I knew that the sun wasn't going to come up and it wasn't going to start to warm up until, you know, at the earliest seven o'clock, but most likely nine o'clock or so. And, uh, I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I, I started to hyperventilate a little bit. I started to freak out. Um, but it was in that moment that I, I just realized there wasn't another choice. My choice was sit there and move your, your feet back and forth with your hands and just keep doing that until morning comes. Just, just keep at it and and you'll be okay. And slowly as I started to, to kind of sink into that realization, that it was just I had something to do. I could focus on this. I could get it done. I was going to be okay. Um, it just became the routine. It became that you know, almost meditative moment where you, you get into it. And, of course, I'd look at my clock, and I'd, every time I'd look at it, I'd be disappointed you know, at the amount of time that passed because it felt like eternities. It just truly felt like eternities. Um, and then I remember the moment where the sun's coming up, and um, it starts to illuminate your tent. Your tent starts to glow. And just the joy in that moment—it didn't feel any warmer, but you know—but daylight had come, morning had come. I was going to be okay, and that—that uh, uh, that was just such a joyous moment. And, and I was—I I was okay. I was able to get up, you know. I was, I was able to um, get my feet, you know, right, and was able to move. All of those things. And truth be told, I think it was part of the ac- uh, kind of getting acclimated to the the temperatures because we slept out you know, later in the trip at, 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 lower temperatures at, at minus 43. And, um, and I had a much easier time those nights than I did that, that first night, but you know, not knowing what to expect, not knowing all the tricks to keep yourself warm. And then just the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. it just made it a torturously long night. Wow. Uh, and then in contrast, uh, the very next day after trying to go down this horrendously bad road, Um, and only making it a few kilometers, you know, the whole day and having to turn back. We turn back and, uh, we're headed towards the the closest village we can find because we're so cold. We don't want to sleep outside. We want to find someplace warm. Um, it it just been a a disastrous day, just a, um, bone crushingly bad day. Um, but we run across these, these two people who who are walking along the side of the road, which is strange as hell, especially out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and and luckily, one of my friends spoke pretty good Russian, so we could communicate. And, and he asked for a ride back into town. Their their snowmobile had broken down. So this father and son, we, you know, we give him a, a ride back into town. Along the way, my friends ask him, "Is there a, is there a place to stay? Some place we can get warm?" And he's like, uh, "Well, it's a small town, not really, but but don't worry about it. Don't worry." Um, we you know drove him maybe I don't know ten kilometers. You know, like, like it was it was not out of our way. We did. Very little to help him the grand scheme of things. He would have walked and been fine. Um, but we, we took him in. And then he brought us into his house. And it was the warmest, hot, like just like like the, the heat kind of like throbbed in from everywhere and warmed you up. And as soon as we walked in, he went over to his wife, you know, said a couple of words. And then all of a sudden hot tea was coming out. And, and you know, there there was no question about it. Um, and then he he told us, you know, right then he's like, "Look, you're staying the night. You know, you can go in the morning, but you're staying the night." And it was just so incredible that somebody would go that far out of their way to help people who they didn't know, you know, had had no reason to trust. Um, and then, you know, as we're sitting there, you know, the the meals start coming out. It's home cooked meals that they're pulling out of the cellar, and it was like nonstop, like 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 um, course after course after course. You know, just small stuff, but but it keeps coming. And I'm looking at these people, going, you know, I, I I know that they have next to nothing, especially in comparison to to American standards. They have next to nothing, and they are holding back zero. Like they are going, you know, just everything that they can give and share, they're willing to. And we spent the night laughing and joking, and and he had a hot sauna that they used as their shower that they let allowed us to get cleaned up in, um, and then they you know gave us warm places to sleep on the floor, and just. Like it, it's moments like that, and I've found them in other places rather than just you know just in Siberia, but it's moments like that that just I think they reinvigorate your your hope for humanity that that people can be so caring and giving to to outsiders um, and and I don't know how else to express it it's just such an incredible warm feeling so to go from that low again to that high and and for the perspective of the trip, and that was just at the end of uh, of day three out of a, a trip that took, um, you know, 18 plus days. Wow. So, um, I mean, there, there's, a lot of things that happen on the trip. Um, but I think that those two moments especially are, are two of the, the ones that resonate, you know, most with me, mm-hmm. um, because they, 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 they show how, how low and how high you can go. But at the same time, you make it through. That that you find a way to to make it through these events. And I think that for me, that's what these adventures are. Um, they're a way to reconnect. They're a way to to find people who give me hope and humanity. They're a way to understand that I'm capable of of more than I I thought I was. Um, you know, I've I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And before this trip, it's like, yeah, I, in my mind, I think I can do that. But after having gone on this trip and for – Having survived temperatures, you know, without wind chill of minus 43 with wind chill on the motorcycle of, of minus 80 degrees. Like I, I, I actually know that viscerally I could survive in, 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 um, in the Antarctic with the right equipment. Um, and it's now opened that up as a possibility to me. Like that adventure will happen at some point in my life. But, you know, it's, it's not a flight of fancy. I know I can get there. And I love how these adventures expand your comfort zone and just make more things possible. Um, And that's why I encourage people to go on adventures. It doesn't have to be this big, just something that pushes your comfort zone out that makes life easier or more attainable for you for future endeavors that you want to do.
0: Hmm, I love that. Uh, So, you know, I have one sort of final question around this and and kind of uh, this idea of how these physical adventures translate into, you know, your day-to-day life in terms of how you navigate the world, how it's changed your worldview, and how you handle things as they come up. I mean, it sounds like, these kinds of endurance adventures really just transform your abilities uh, in every aspect of your life.
2: In many ways, um, I think they've changed perspective a lot. So, um, truth be told, um, you know, if, if you're running a business or if you, you know if you're working at a company and you get a lot of pressures that come in the day, there's this deadline that was missed. There's this client who's really pissed off. There's this deal that you're not going to make. I'll tell you, just, just full out, if you've survived a night in Siberia um, where you weren't sure you are going to make it through, all of these things aren't a big deal. I mean, they, they're important, of course, and, and you need to give them due focus, but you're not going to die. You're not going to come back without your your fingers and your toes. And having that perspective, again, I think everything really comes back to perspective. Having that perspective helps you just take a breath and, and move through with them. Um, and then knowing that you're capable of some really difficult feats makes it possible the next time you hit something else really difficult where you can't quite see the light at the end of the tunnel, you can just trust in your abilities and know that if you give it your all and that if you're willing to be flexible and adapt, that you will, you, you will make it through that. There's very few things that you can't see all the way to the end with the right skills and the right uh, perspective.
0: Wow. Well, Chris, uh, you know, this has been just amazing uh, and, and just beautiful. So I want to close with my final question, mm. uh, which, you know, this is how we close all our interviews at Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's genuine, being genuine and,
2: and being authentic. Um, I find a lot of people who who, in these trips, who from various walks of life, you know, from Um, that that beautiful guy in Siberia to artists, to entrepreneurs, to adventurers. Um, But the thing that always seems to shine for me that, that makes somebody just unmistakable is, is that complete genuine authenticness that shines through um, that, that I think invites trust and, and helps to build that very quickly.
0: Hmm. Well, Chris, uh, I have to say, uh, this has just been a beautiful conversation. Uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come and join us and share some of your insights and, and uh, you know, a bit about your story and your journey with our listeners here at The Unmistakable Creative. Oh,
2: beautiful, man. I, I thank you for the invite, and thank you very much for helping to guide me
0: through. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. You've been listening to The Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration, Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The 4 Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash 4keys. Use the number 4, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash 4keys and download your free copy.